Well, good afternoon, freaks. It's your boy Marty here, sitting down with Matt. It's a Monday afternoon, uh, October 22nd, 2018, uh, the year of our Lord. Uh, this is the rabbit hole recap. No sponsors this week. Uh, blew through our ads, our ad spend in October, uh, re-upping right now. Um, but shout out to our sponsors of previous episodes. The Bitcoin price right now on Bitstamp is $6,391. We've had a big week of news, Matt. Um, uh, first, before we get into the news, intro, what's going on? How are we doing today? Hey, guys. It's <laughs> Matt here. Happy to be here. Uh, I, I feel like ever since we started announcing the Bitcoin price, it has been 6400 ish yeah, it's been it's really tight. Ever since that one listener was like, "You you, sh- you guys should say it every say it every episode," it just refuses to move. Bitcoin is our stable coin. There you go. It's been very stable recently. I'm happy with that. Uh, and it's actually a good segue into our first story about a woman uh, in Kenya. Betty. Betty. I'm going to talk about, about Betty's place. Betty. Uh, Betty was my hero today. This was reported. Uh, <clears throat> on the BBC uh, really today, article, actually. today actually a very bad article, but uh, a very very inspiring anecdote. Betty is uh, the owner of a restaurant, a butchery, and a pub in Kenya, and she also teaches people how to use Bitcoin. She accepts Bitcoin as payment, uh, and she sees herself as a true cryptocurrency evangelist uh, on the ground, trying to teach people and accept cryptocurrency and live uh, live the sovereign individual ethos. So we just want to give a shout out to Betty. Matt Matt has a few things to say about her, particularly. He's really jacked up about I'm Betty. I'm super excited. I'm like standing here like, <laughs> Marty, you going to stop talking so I can... Betty is everything I love about Bitcoin. There we go. You know, she, she used Bitcoin profits to buy this old, old hotel, open up her own place. And not only does she accept Bitcoin, but she educates people about Bitcoin. It's like what we do here. You know, once a week, she's educating people in Kenya about Bitcoin. And, you know, that's that's what's crazy about it. Crazy, the crazy thing about Bitcoin is that people just around the world, once you dive down the rabbit hole, you just want to get everyone else involved. Next man up. In this case, next woman up. Betty just steps to the plate and says, hey, I'm going to I'm going to be the one to step up and start educating people. Uh, living a true Bitcoin carnivory lifestyle, it seems like. Uh, apparently, she has some very good lamb at a restaurant. Uh, yeah, I know. My, Michael Goldstein was the one who actually pointed out the article, and he he was particularly excited about her carnivory uh, ways as well. And he's trying to get her on his pod. If he can get her on the Noted podcast, that would be that'd be fucking epic. Yeah. So if anybody out there knows Betty, uh, if we have any Kenyan listeners that Let's have get her on Noted. frequented uh, Betty's place, definitely uh, hook her up with Michael Bitstein or Michael Goldstein, excuse me, at Bitstein on Twitter. Uh, he's he's looking to interview her, and I think it would be a good one uh, from Bitcoin carnivore, carnivore to Bitcoin carnivore. Uh, so shout out to Betty, and uh, let's use Betty as an example. You too can uh, can help teach people how to use Bitcoin. It's pretty easy. It's just taking some time to do it. Uh, so shout out Betty. Today we're all Betty. We are all Betty. Uh, staying in developing economies, uh, Venezuela, some positive news this week. There's been a lot of confusion with... Bitcoin volume in Venezuela in particular, because it's very hard to gauge because if you are denominating it in Venezuelan bolivars, it's obviously uh, a misleading indicator because the bolivar is hyperinflating as we speak. Uh, so somebody has uh, taken it under their taken it under their arms and taken the bull by the horns and basically calculated the amount of 
uh, Bitcoin volume based in U.S. dollars on local Bitcoins in Venezuela. And it looks like since the beginning of last year, January 2017, the the overwhelming trend is up and to the right that uh, Venezuelans are buying more and more Bitcoin every month uh, when denominated in U.S. dollar terms. So that's just uh, it's just a stat we wanted to. We've been talking about Venezuela a lot last 10 weeks. And uh, I think this was a good good update on what's going on there. Yeah, it's at, it's it's sitting at all time highs right now. Uh, twenty, it's about twenty five million weekly volume on local local bitcoins. Mm-hmm. Local bitcoins lets you trade person to person, so it's probably our best volume indicator for any given country, because uh, you can't inflate the volumes the way you can, uh, you know, through a regular like a digital exchange. Mm-hmm. So people like us like to look at local Bitcoin volumes to, to see trends. And with Venezuela, it's, it's a clear trend up. It's, it's sitting at all-time highs right now. Yeah, and it's been pretty consistently growing. And yeah, because that chart starts in January 2017. But if you go past there, it was trending up before. Like January 2017 was like the previous all-time high at that time. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, people say Venezuelans aren't using Bitcoin. You know, obviously not all Venezuelans are using Bitcoin, you know. But uh, a large amount are, and it continues to grow. Yeah, so that's keeping you updated in Venezuela. Actually, anecdote from uh, from my better half. She works actually with a couple of Venezuelans, and they uh, one in particular seems to think or is saying that uh, Dash is used a lot in Venezuela. Well, they have so Dash has a uh, like a treasury system. Mm-hmm that holders can can use those funds to spend on part of the block reward is is used towards treasury endeavors Mm -hmm. and one of the things they recently did was they have some kind of phone partnership down there where it's it's the phone is is subsidized and seeded with a dash wallet so the phone is cheaper it has a dash wallet on it and it already has i think some dash on it uh, so they're like trying to spend their way into relevance down there. That's basically their strategy with everything. Dash is, is known as a like a marketing, marketing first yeah. chain. You know, they famously had uh, like Delta ads, like people were going to conferences <laughs> and, and on their TV was like a, a Dash a Dash ad. Yeah, so Dash, they're trying to growth hack all over the world. Um, but but the interesting thing about Venezuela is, you know how many Bettys are in Venezuela doing exactly what she's doing? You know, spreading Numerous, forward. yeah. And, uh, no, it's great. I actually had, um, uh, I forget, I forget whether it was about a podcast or a newsletter, Venezuelan, uh, transplanted in Canada was thanking us, I think, believe for, for bringing up Venezuela and he was a Bitcoin advocate as well. So they're out, they're out there. Um, so staying in the emerging economy Actually, I don't even know if India would be considered an emerging economy at this point. It's no. emerged. It's emerged. Um, but staying uh, in the nation state sort of vibe, India in particular has been very harsh towards Bitcoin and cryptocurrency businesses, uh, shutting down, uh, famously shutting down exchanges over the summer, making it really hard for people to start businesses. But it seems like a stalwart in the industry, in India in particular, Unicoin, is finding a way around uh, these sanctions from their government. I think you can speak more to this than I can right so now. So actually, I mean, it's been kind of confusing coming out of India. And and with a lot of these, 
these countries that go after Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, the reason the the biggest negative they have on the industry locally is that there's so much confusion that no one knows what the fuck's going on. But my understanding is that oh, in India, famously, you know, they're trying to wrestle control of their population who who spends tons of money outside of government purview. So they recently banned cash, like the large bills. They were going after cash even, right? Yeah, it was about so, this time last year, I believe. Yeah, so they, they made people cash in their large bills and basically do KYC to get the new bills. Uh, so it shouldn't be a surprise that they would go after Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Like, that is the natural, you know, if, if, they're, if they're trying to stop people from having private transactions or having transactions outside of their control, then of course they're going to go for cryptocurrency. Now, their current ban is actually on the banks and the payment providers. So it's like what the U.S. did to sportsbooks, mm-hmm. which is they, they just made it so that all the venues that you would be transferring your money on and off um, are blocked from being used. So it, star- it has the effect of starving out the exchanges. Now, uh, Unicoin, which is one of the biggest exchanges there, has... has basically been walking this tightrope trying to survive and now what they've come up with is they are actually launching like physical atms that that they own themselves in the major cities they have one in bangalore and now they're going to do mumbai and and uh somewhere else so all the major cities they want to have atms there and you just put your cash in or you get your cash out directly from there. And then once they're on the platform, they have to use stable coins. A true USD. Yeah. So, and this is a, this is a perfect example. We've talked about in the past, like why Tether existed in the first place. The reason Tether existed was because it was really hard for exchanges to get banking relationships. So here we have a situation where exchanges in India can't get banking relationships. So they're using the stable coins. Now these stable coins have the same exact issue. They could have their own banks stopped if they if if they don't do compliance. So the question is, how much can India comply a, a U.S. company? Mm-hmm. Right. That's what it, that's what it would come down to. Yeah. Can they force True USD's hand to sort of comply with their? Right. Because I think True USD is a U.S. company. I'm not <clears throat> sure. Uh, not positive either. Um, wouldn't be surprised though. But it's definitely a Western country. Yeah. Um, no. So this is something interesting. India in particular feel bad for our our friends in India who are trying to, to build uh, companies and, and use cryptocurrency and evangelize cryptocurrency in general. It seems like the government's making it an overwhelmingly uh, hard process. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're scared. They're, they, they understand the threat that Bitcoin represents. Yeah. And I think, you know, the Indian people are resourceful people. There's a large amount of them, a very large amount. And... And they're used to telling the government to go fuck themselves. So they're, you know, they're finding ways. As you can see, this guy's a huge target and he's finding ways. Yeah. No, and then, uh, Indians in particular have inherently gotten the case for gold throughout time. And um, there was the one article Elaine you wrote a couple of weeks ago where uh, there was like Indian calling farms that were calling Americans trying to scam them Uh pretend to be the IRS and trying to scan them out of money to like make payments, like fake accounts. And one of the quotes was an Indian saying, uh, in the public in bloom in the Bloomberg article, like, I can't believe how afraid like Americans are, their government. Like all you have to say is like, we're with the IRS and we'll take the money. Like here in India, 
that never happens. We'll we'll fight back and call bullshit. So it's funny to see that uh, that uh, dichotomy of of the type of fear of government that that we have as Americans, as opposed to to people in India, where it seems like they they may have a more like Orwellian system, but maybe they just don't respect it at all. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I have faith that the I think the Indian people are going to be a major part of this movement, you know, whether their government likes it or not. Yeah. Bang, bang. Um, but staying on the... Now we have the stable coin tangent. Stable coin tage- tangent. Uh, Tether. We talked a lot about it last week. A lot has happened since we talked about it last week. It is since the... Everything's com- stabilized. Yeah, converged back to its dollar peg. Um, what was really interesting is I think there was something like, was it $570 million in outflows or 710 million outflows, uh, 130 inflowed into other stable coins. Right. So 600 definitely went out to us dollars. Yeah. Bitcoin or USD. Yeah. Right. I think USD, USD, uh, or other native currencies could have been, right. uh, Either way, it seems like all of Tether's processes are running smoothly. They have a bank now. Um, Bitfinex has a new bank now. Seems like deposits and withdrawals are stabilizing. Bitfinex still has a slight premium, probably mostly because of risk. We'll see. Maybe they're still having a little bit of deposit issues, um, stopping the arbitrage. But, you know, at the end of the day, with all of these stable coins, with all of these centralized exchanges... You run the risk that at any moment you could lose your money. And if they're if they're regulated and complying with laws, then you're giving them a ton of KYC information. But at least you can, you know, sue them and try and recoup it afterwards. But if it's a company that's breaking the law, like that's gone. Like you don't you're not gonna be able to, you know, try you know, or maybe you can and you do something like the Mount Gox bankruptcy and then it's then what it's four years later and 20x later and we're just you know you're just getting it now yeah with this tether story in particular in the last week in particular too it seemed like it was a very big media driven narrative do you think there's anything to be said about like the coverage of tether should should we like take time for these things to play themselves out before we jump to conclusions and blah 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 i i I think the word that a lot of people are using was weaponized fud yeah. Which we've talked about a lot on this pod before. That FUD is all right, but unsubstantiated FUD is the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the issues with Tether come down to the fact that they are definitely breaking KYC AML laws. So there's a whole group of people that will just automatically say Tether's a fraud just on that fact alone. Mm-hmm. Right? Then there's a, a different subset of us who understand that's why Tether was born to begin with, and we think those laws are unjust and don't actually help consumers. And so then the question to us becomes two things, is do they actually have all the money that they say they have? And then the second thing, which is what Bitfinex always kept saying, was that Tether was running a fractional reserve, so that was the point, point one, and then he would link it to a point two that was... And they're using that fractional reserve to pump the price of Bitcoin and Bitcoin's price would never have gotten this high if it wasn't for Tether manipulating the price. So both of those remain unfounded. To this day, they've always remained unfounded. We, 
we have no reason to believe that they don't have a full reserve. We also, there's no way for us to tell that they do. That's by design. These, you have a trusted third party. You have to trust the fucking third party. Uh, and there's absolutely zero proof that it was used to manipulate the price upwards. Now, as far as we go, I think we were very reserved on the last pod about it. Um, you know, we obviously have disdain for Bitfinex and Tether, and we don't trust them personally. And I think in those times of of crisis, it's important to to give a re, to stay reserved, but also to to give to give you know your true opinion and to explain the risks to people. Because I, I, you know, if you if during that panic you took an eight percent cut because you were holding you were holding tether and you sold it when it was at ninety two cents and you took an eight percent cut, right? Mm-hmm. 8% in this industry is nothing for me. Like if I like Damn, you could lost I mean you could have lost all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like seeing people lose everything. Yeah. If if you're if, I see what you're saying. That's if right. you're trusting a, a a a sketchy exchange or or a stable coin or something like with your money, like literally at any moment you could wake up and you could have nothing. This is true. Right? This so, has happened. Yeah, so in a time of panic like you take. I mean, Tether has allowed you to break KYC AML and not be at risk of all of Bitcoin's fluctuations, right? So if you've been holding it since twelve thousand, you know Tether has saved you fifty uh, percent loss, right? Yeah. But there comes times when I think that if you do insist on holding Tether, like it's not worth. It's worth paying that eight percent. To just be like, okay, well, let me just wait out these six hours, eight hours, just make sure everything, you know, like kind of settles itself back down. Yeah. Because the cost of doing business. Yeah. No, I think that's sound advice and in a good play if you are holding tether. Uh, an 8% loss is uh, much preferred to a 100% loss. Massive difference. Absolutely <laughs> massive difference. Um. So that was the Tether news. Uh, do we want to talk about Wasabi now? You were using Wasabi. You tested it out. You took a first spin. And it seems like you liked it. Wasabi is so fucking cool. <laughs> I felt like a little kid again. So let's explain it. Uh, Wasabi Wallet, it's a project by Nopara, uh, who's a dev who's very... There's two others. And, and it's open source, so they yeah. have a bunch of contributors now. Yeah. So they have a bunch of contributors. Nopara is like the leading... He's the CTO. The CTO. I think the other two CEOs are lawyers because he's so scared of legality. <laughs> he, he partnered with two lawyer friends. But Nopara has uh, notoriously, historically been uh, very... Uh, very adamant about bringing privacy tools to Bitcoin wallet infrastructure in particular, uh, whether that be via CoinJoin or ZeroLink, a protocol he's working on that utilizes CoinJoin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I guess the first implementation of what he's been building for years is Wasabi, which is a fully functional wallet that really brings a lot of um, fungibility upgrades uh, at not even at the protocol level, just at the UX wallet level. So let's explain how it works. You used it. Bang, bang. So it's a light wallet that runs on your computer, runs on any computer, Windows, Linux, OS X. Don't use Windows. I don't know why I listed it first. Um, basically, so like Electrum, right? People know Electrum. It's a light wallet. doesn't have to download the whole blockchain. So you don't have to have, you know, 200 gigabytes and on your on your computer. You don't have to... Uh, wait for it to sync or anything like that. Now it's it acts as a normal wallet. 
that defaults through Tor. It has built-in Tor in it as well. Mm -hmm. So when you boot it up, automatically links in through Tor. So you're running Onion Routers? Yeah, you're running through the Onion Routing system so that your peers aren't able to figure out your IP. And then, and it like switches the servers it uses. It has like an adaptive thing, which is pretty cool. And then when you do a receiving address, it's SegWit by default. When you do a receiving address, it asks you to label it. So every single transaction you have going into the wallet has like an R, R, origin stamp basically. Like, so it says, you know, like, okay, so I brought this from Cash App. So like one of the main uses of something like this is let's say you buy your Bitcoin on Cash App, but you don't want Cash App and anyone they comply with to know where your Bitcoin go after that. So when you send a transaction from Cash App, Cash App knows the address you sent it to. And from that point on, they can track where those Bitcoin go to, to try and figure out where your Bitcoin goes to, what you spend it on, all these different things. So with this, you would open up Wasabi. You would create a new receiving address. You would send your, your withdrawal from Cash App. And then you would label it Cash App Withdrawal. And then in your wallet, you would see that UTXO set is from Cash App. So you know it's like particularly a dirty UTXO like that is linked to you. Yeah. Then you go into the coin join menu and you can do an automated coin join process that that mixes up your coins with other people's coins in a way to obscure that blockchain analysis. And it's done in a way where no one Control over your private keys is never in anyone else's hands. You never lose custody of your coins, and your peers don't know who they're interacting with. It's pretty badass. And then the result is, it shows you like a, it shows you how many times it's done that, and the more, the higher number, the better. And it has like these little color badges, like red is the worst, then yellow, then green, and then green check mark. And then when you send out, you can pick which which UTXOs you want to send out and they all have the different levels of privacy and, and where their origin is from and what and whatnot. It's pretty badass. So it seems like an incredible wallet UX. It's, yeah, it's extremely so it's very good coin use. selection. It's, yeah, coin selection is a fucking breeze to use. It's like very user-friendly, I think, for what it offers. Fully open source. They do take a small mixing fee. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say, coin join's a little bit more expensive, but worth it in the long run. Yeah, the Correct. idea is that you mix... And then you mix in like the background and then like you seed a mobile wallet with like a little bit of money and then you spend it from there. You know, it's like, it's just like, uh, it, it doesn't work as well for as, uh, like an instant mix and spend kind of thing. It's something mm -hmm. you do later. And, and the more people that use it, the better. So like right now, not that many people are using it. So I have to like run it overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, but the, the more people that use it, the, the faster it gets and like the, the more anonymous it gets. Yeah, so you freaks out there should check out the Wasabi Wallet. Where can we find it? It's uh, wasabiwallet.io. Wasabiwallet.io. The other thing that's dope as fuck is that they created this zero-link uh, protocol, which allows this wallet, it's basically an implementation of the protocol, so any wallet that implements it can take part in the same mixing pools because the key is liquidity, right? We need as many people using it as possible. So I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be compatible with Samurai's solution on mobile. 
and oh, yeah. it's compatible with Bob Wallet, which I forget who's doing that, but that's another wallet that's that's gonna support Zero Link. So theoretically, we could have like ten different wallets all using the same uh, mixing pool, which is badass. That'd be incredible. And so I think this actually brings up like an incredible point. Like this might be very bullish for Bitcoin because we might ne- not need to implement too many fungibility upgrades at the protocol level if we're able to create this ux at the wallet level uh with bitcoin's current state um so fungibility might not be as bad as as previously thought uh which is which is awesome i think fungibility on bitcoin is horrible right now (laughs) but it's i i think this this show it's getting better this is an absolutely this is like the bare minimum this is this gives us at least a basic privacy guarantee, and as long as we get more people using it, like major plausible deniability bonuses too. Um, and I, I think it's absolutely it should not be discounted. It's absolutely huge news, but but better privacy improvements, better privacy guarantees that are easier to use on on Bitcoin. I think I think are are something that should definitely be considered. Yeah, but let's let's stay on this vein for a little bit. So one of the knocks of complete privacy at the protocol level is you can sort of lose track of inflation. So if we get complete fungibility with some types of up- upgrades, whether it be bulletproofs or something else, there's a chance that we wouldn't notice that there's inflation. So is this a good trade-off, having the privacy push to the, to the wallet software uh, just so we can have the certainty of the 21 million cap uh, at the protocol level. He's, he's smiling at me while he's asking. Uh, I I think, yeah, I, I think it's a good balance. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily necessarily saying that there should be protocol changes, but there's there's plenty of room for other privacy improvements. You know, Lightning Network gives us privacy improvements. Yeah. Liquid has confidential transactions, so you can't see the amounts. No, but this is um, one of the biggest fuds against Bitcoin is that there isn't fungibility at the protocol level, and maybe we're discovering that we don't need as much as people think. I think we need a lot more than we have right now. I would agree. I would agree. I, I you know, I... But not as much. It needs a balance. It's a balancing act. I mean, look, yeah. if you have if you have like Lightning Network atomic swaps with Zcash and, and Monero, then they're basically become mixers with utility tokens, like useless utility tokens. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of ways you can do it while preserving um, the transparency. The opt-in, the opt-in transparency, opt-in privacy is never as good as full privacy. Mm-hmm. But with Bitcoin, it's a balancing act because it gets value from both facets. It gets value from the censorship-resistant aspect and from the full transparency aspect. So to try and find a balance makes a little bit more sense. But if you're talking about just to, to have the most private technology, like it's it's almost always needs to be full an- anonymity because you want you want the you want the full anonymity set there. You want as many people. Um, obscuring your transactions as possible yeah no it's an interesting debate and it's uh it's fun watching it develop as as these new tools come out and as uh as people begin to experiment with different ways to to attain fungibility within bitcoin the important thing is that wasabi and zero link is fucking badass and you should you should you should get the wallet um it's going to give you a seed just like any other wallet 
Write that shit down on a piece of paper. It's the safest way to store these things. You can write it down on two pieces of paper if you want. Um, and and play around with a little bit, little bit of money. You know, not that much. Just play around with it. Get used to it. You know, give me some liquidity. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you some as well. Team I like, effort. I like that. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work, people. We're all in this together. Privacy is important. It, it, it is. It's very important. Staying on the wallet software of a neutrino uh, was launched last week, I believe, or officially launched last week, and that is an upgrade of SPV clients. I believe it, you, the way you described it to me before we started recording is it's somewhere between an SPV node and a and a full node, um, and this will allow uh, certain functionalities on the Lightning Network for people in the, uh, that are using their mobile phones and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's basically like a better light light client uh, mm-hmm. standard. So, like, if you don't want the full blockchain, um, you had to make pretty big privacy um, privacy short. Uh, you had to give up a lot of privacy, and, and you didn't have full verification. You still don't have full verification here, but it gives you it gives you a lot of benefits of a full node without having to run a full node. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an actual full node, but uh, it's definitely a step up for for mobile clients and for anything that's like a lightweight computing device. Yeah. Um, so that was just launched. And it's uh, being packaged into a couple lightning lightning clients, I think. Yeah, that's what it looks like. I'm uh, admittedly a little bit ignorant. I haven't I haven't read through all the Neutrino docs yet. Um, apparently, it'll enhance privacy, scalability, and decentralization. Yeah, it's more efficient. Censorship resistance. Um, Just wins across the board. It's not a full node, but it's wins across the board. Yeah. And it's uh, Bitcoin infrastructure getting built out slowly but surely. So it's just another another part of the spaceship that that Bitcoin is becoming. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. Next topic, uh, switching to a project that is a lot of patches to make moving forward. Uh, we, We brought it up last week. Uh, and it was officially uh, announced later last week that, that the Constantinople hard fork for Ethereum is being pushed back. I guess the Ethereum devs hopped on a, a core dev call and decided, which I would completely agree with, that uh, they are going to... Uh, Breaking news, Marty agrees. <laughs> they're going to post... I mean, they can't. They can't hard fork with the mess up that they had on the test net. They, they definitely need to make sure they have all their their ducks in a row so constantinople officially postponed until 2019 um yeah this is just adds to to my my belief that uh the transition of proof of stake is going to be fleeting and it may never come it's going to come and it's just going to be a disaster that's what matt thinks yeah um we'll never i mean let me caveat that it'll never come and be completely successful well i mean that's a ridiculous caveat why is that ridiculous? Like, do you think they're going to push through a proof-of-stake hard fork that will switch the network fully to proof-of-stake? No. Ever? You yeah. don't think it'll be running at least for, like, a couple months, like, on a proof-of-stake system, like something like Tezos, which is already live, that a lot of the eth heads already love? I don't think so. I think you'll get... That was rude. I shouldn't have called them eth heads. That was a rematch. But Vitalik shouldn't have called us Bitcoin maximalists. Hey, 
hey, we, we, we try to stay above the fray, okay? Here at the Rabbit Hole Recap, we're, we're refined. This is a refined show, exactly. Matthew. That's true. As I sit my Macallan, they still haven't sponsored us. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it will ever come. They have to. Tezos is live. EOS I know they have live. to. Definity's coming. Cosmos is coming. They, all, their, all their supporters want proof of stake. They're going to have to. They'll push it through. There'll be three Ethereum chains. Exactly. You'll have proof of work Ethereum. So in my You'll mind, that's not, a successful proof, that's not a successful transition. Okay, I guess. Yeah. It won't be clean. I'll agree with you that it won't be clean. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it'll come eventually. Delay, delay, delay. I agree with you that it's just the delays compound on delays. And they there's so much complexity. Like think about think about the bug we just had on Bitcoin. Like there's so many so much complexity with this new system. And who knows what's lying in there. Right? Yeah. Uh yeah. good luck. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, it's exciting to watch from the sidelines. It is very exciting. Um, no, I wish I wish you guys well. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how how late in the 2019 the hard fork is initiated. Well, this is this is a good tangent because I think I mean this is a good connection because I I mean I I think this just goes further to show you know that altcoins are a test bed for Bitcoin, and it's not they don't only test technical specifications it's also it tests social behavior and how how groups act in certain with certain stimuli and certain you know narratives and Mm -hmm. whatnot and so it's interesting to watch and i i think that no matter what happens bitcoin will be for the better yeah no this is actually stay on this tangent i think it was stop and decrypt mentioned it on twitter and there was a big debate towards the end of the week last week about (laughs) the uh the existence of all coins whether or not uh they're valid uh just a distraction or if bitcoin would be better off with or without them and i think i agree that uh bitcoin is better off with them just from the sense that maybe it confuses the governments and the regulators uh who have no idea what's going on and it sort of it uh sort of holds fire for bitcoin in the long term just by confusing everybody else uh so they can't focus on bitcoin to sort of cage and 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 stop from growing yeah i mean i think that's definitely a major benefit of them it's uh, they're the lowest hanging fruit they act as kind of like a like a flak jacket yeah uh and and they act as like a canary in the coal mine too so if 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 the if the government wanted to take down something like ethereum or even or even easier, like a Zcash, like a way, way smaller altcoin based in the United States, you know, founding founding companies based in the United States, a bunch of investors are based in the United States. Like, it'd be really easy for them, and it would be a perfect warning sign to say, okay, is Bitcoin robust enough to handle this? Can we can we stop this from happening? Uh, you know, I think it. I've, I I said this, I tried to make this point when I was, when I was the inter when I was being interviewed by you on the pod the first time is that I think that altcoins, you know, the only negative of altcoins is to the retail that loses money on them, mm-hmm. but to the overall system, it makes I think it makes it stronger. I think forks make Bitcoin stronger, uh, and I think it's just all part of the free market. You know, the free market system. Yeah, that we ten- have here. I would tend to agree. Um. But that security element from like sovereigns is like that's a completely valid additional reason as well. What do you mean? 
you know, that it's like that we know that if states go after them, then then they act as like kind of like a buffer for us. Oh, yeah. True. The lower hanging fruit. Yeah. Then something like Monero is like super privacy focused and we can say, oh, well, Bitcoin is transparent. You know, Monero is for criminals or whatever, you know, so then so they go after something like that first. Yeah. Well, speaking of Monero. Uh, I've been trying to tangent into that one for a little bit now. Well, you just did it perfectly. They uh, just successfully hard fork bulletproofs into their uh, protocol, and it has made some incredible efficiency gains for for Monero in particular. Um, I believe the blockchain download time has been cut by like eighty percent or something like that, uh, and the amount of data per transaction uh, similarly has been cut by like eighty to to ninety percent. Um, I could be bullshitting those percentages, but there's been cons- it was a lot. It was yeah. a big efficiency boost, considerable efficiency boost. Um, yeah, Monero is an interesting. Again, it's probably one of the higher caliber altcoins, quote unquote, as uh, as it's probably one of the most top five respected projects because it's pretty true to the cypherpunk ethos of privacy and just getting shit done. Um, yeah. so it's interesting to see bulletproofs in the wild. Uh, so what's interesting about bulletproofs is it's an efficiency gain on confidential transactions, which is confidential transactions is part of Monero's anonymity suite, like all the different tools they use to, to create the privacy on the chain, confidential transactions, they hide the transaction amount. So you don't know, you still know the sender and the receiver, but you don't know, um, how much is being sent. So bulletproofs make confidential transactions way more efficient. So this is like another perfect example of using altcoins as a test bed because confidential transactions have been proposed for Bitcoin. And part of the reason that they haven't been implemented is because of efficiency loss. The other reason is because of auditability, like you were saying. Um, mm-hmm. But the efficiency was a was a big issue, especially even if you were talking about like side chains or something like that. So this is is proof in the wild. Well, we'll see. It just like happened. Yeah. You know, I was talking to someone. This is proof in the wild that, you know, confidential transactions could be more efficient. But I was talking to someone. Uh, the other day about how. You know, imagine if Monero had some kind of inflation bug or something like you would never be able to. It'd be it'd like to, to catch that would be crazy. Like, I don't think it would, it would be a while before someone, if it was, even if it was being exploited, like, I feel like it'd be a while for someone to catch something like that. Right. Just so much code. And it's like, it's actually like you were saying like, Oh, it's like one of the premium altcoin projects or whatever. Like there's not that many eyes on this code. Like I, I don't it's know. It's like, like 2% of the Bitcoin core like pull requests or something like that. I don't know what to say pull requests or contributors. Yeah. I mean, I, my Monero, which is like the number one non-official client that people use because it's a light client. You don't have to download the whole blockchain. Um, I think it's like maintained by like four people I saw on GitHub or something. There's only like four committers. So like that's, I don't know. It's kind of crazy to me. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, and they also have this, they, they hard forked the ASIC, the, the mining algo again so to try and stop ASICs. So you have this issue where like only the core devs know what the next algorithm is going to be, which is extremely centralizing. And they do these, these six month hard forks 
like regular maintenance hard forks to get people in the habit of doing hard forks all the time, which adds another security risk. So it, it goes with what, what we were saying earlier that that these other chains aren't just case studies, live case studies of the actual technical specs like bulletproofs or confidential transactions, but it's also a case study of how they're running them, right? Yeah. And, and, and how, you know, what, what kind of attack issues do you have when you have constant hard forks? And, you know, maybe one day we'll find out, you know, what the actual threats implications are. of that is once you know if, if monero gets compromised because of, of these routine hard forks then you know then then you have proof of it right there yeah yeah no that's um that's an interesting point we'll we'll see how monero fares in the future i'm not sure how i i feel about the uh the mandatory hard forks every six months uh i don't know if i would be a fan fan of that i i'm definitely not a fan of it for bitcoin I do kind of appreciate that we get a unique case study, you know? So, like, if all the altcoins are doing the same thing, then their benefit to the system as a whole, you know, greatly diminishes because you you don't really find out that much new shit. But, like, I love that Monero's doing... They're pushing the envelope a little bit and they're giving us more, uh, you know, more to learn from. Yeah. So shout out to uh, to Monero for doing that. Congrats on the successful implementation of uh, Bulletproof. And let's see uh, what it looks like in the wild with a little bit more time. It's only been like three or four days. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like uh, in three or four months. Um, next story. On to a different type of topic. Uh, five Dime Sportsbook owner reported missing in Costa Rica, possibly kidnapped, uh, apparently the robbers or the kidnappers are, are 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 looking to get bitcoin in return uh for for this man's life they will release him uh once they get bitcoin sent to an address so this uh this is an example of of ransom physical ransom in the wild the five dollar wrench attack is coming coming into play here uh and it seems like i think five dimes one of the sports books that was accepting bitcoin as payment and uh if you're vocal about owning Bitcoin, be careful. The only reason I put this one in the agenda was because fucking Noriel retweeted, he quote retweeted my tweet about this. Did he? And like took me out of context. I didn't see it. What did he say? And he obviously didn't listen to the pod where I told him to go fuck himself last week. What did he say? He said like, this is why Bitcoin should be banned because it's like enabling crypto robberies. So my, my argument was, and I still stand by this argument, is that, Bitcoin is, and cryptocurrencies in general, you know, I had a bunch of people in my mentions like, oh, they should use Monero, like whatever. Like if you have Bitcoin, you know, you just open up BISC and you can get some Monero if you want to send a Monero, if the ransomer wants Monero instead, you know, or you could use Wasabi Wallet or any of the centralized mixers that they've been using. You know, look at all the guys, the plenty of guys have gone to jail, but plenty of people have gotten away with hacking these things and they, they haven't gotten caught. So if you know what you're doing, you can still use it anonymously. Bitcoin is the best form of money, period. So obviously, it's also the best form of money for ransoms. You know, before this, you had to like give them like diamonds or cash in a briefcase, and you had to like meet them in person, and you had that whole scene on, in movies where like everyone had the guns in the trees, you know, and you're like walking up. Oh, you're all I'm trying to think of the name of my favorite one with uh, with Keanu Reeves and uh, Jesus. Ah. Oh. 
on the bus. What am I thinking of? Uh, Keanu's in it. Keanu's in it. They're on the bus. God, I'm gonna, I got He's gonna look it up. But um, yeah, so like, it changes the game for ransoms, and it changes the game for all money, and that that that's the reason why. Like, if you look at, remember when during the Obama speed speed. There you go. Of course, how did I forget speed? Uh, speed. That scenes. Yeah, Dennis Hopper. He's uh, he's the one who who wants to meet with the bomb strapped to him for physical cash. Right. Now that, you just that do that it with whole Bitcoin. Scene, that whole scene could be avoided if they just sent Bitcoin and with the signed message. You know, this is my address. I sent it. And then, I mean, it's up to the kidnappers if they're going to release them or not. But that was the same situation you had with cash. Uh, but I was, I was saying, like, I think during the Obama administration, like, we, we paid as part of the deal with Iran. We paid them back, like, a bunch of money we took from their bank accounts. Yeah, we and, physically like, flew cash we, over. Right. Because both governments understood that if we sent anything through the banks, that was all bullshit anyway. Right. <laughs> both the U.S. and Iran knew that. So they had to literally fucking put a cash in a jet and fly it over. Pallets. Pallets yeah. of cash. That could all be solved with a Bitcoin transaction like 15 cents. Well, that's not going to happen. They're not, they're not forward thinking like that, Matthew. It's, just, um, it's a game changer and just went right over Rubini's head. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. I think we should stop paying attention to Noriel. Uh, he's not worth it. I don't think he's that influential either. I agree. I mean, I think I think he's convinced more people to buy Bitcoin than to sell their Bitcoin. Every, I hope so. Every time, you know, he has. I I checked. He has like five hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Every single time he tweets about this shit, people are like, "Hmm, what is he talking about?" And more people are buying it. No one who owns Bitcoin is like, "Oh shit, Noriel was like for the fifteenth time, this is shit." I'm not, I'm going to sell my, I'm going to, you know, sell my Bitcoin. No one's doing that. So if he's actually doing the exact opposite and it's fucking beautiful. Yeah. Keep it up, Noriel. Uh, but I don't want to talk about it anymore because you annoyed the hell out of me. Okay. Continue. Uh, BitMEX dropped a blog post, started some controversy uh, at the beginning of last week or middle of last week. They have announced that they are going, they have launched uh, their own implement, implementation of Bitcoin uh, you can find it on GitHub. It's basically a competitor to Core. They say it's complementary, and the reason they're doing it is basically to prove that Bitcoin is going to be okay if somehow the Bitcoin Core repository uh, gets compromised or gets shut down for some reason. Uh, it's easily easily forkable code that can be ported over to other repositories and then built on there. Um, so I thought this was cool. I'm actually a fan of it. I just think it's, uh, I think it was more of like a publicity stunt to prove, uh, prove that this is Bitcoin's going to be okay. Uh, and I'm a fan of it. It was a fucking badass move by BitMEX. Yeah. Um, big fan of BitMEX. BitMEX research in general is just, has been top notch and they're the ones who did it was the research arm. Yeah. Um, it was actually kind of funny because I woke up the morning they announced it. And in my mentions, there was someone freaking out about it and like mentioned like a bunch of us. And then there was like a couple responses, like everyone was like trying to figure it out on the fly, like what the hell was going on. And I gave it like a little quick read through and I just like immediate smile came to my face. (laughs) Such a fucking. But so basically what they did was they like clicked the fork button on GitHub or they control C, control V, just copied and pasted the code over. Code is open source. Anyone could do that. Um, and 
they might make some changes that are different if they if they want to. I don't know how far they'll go along with it. But basically, the idea is is Bitcoin by default is a non-change system. There's no automatic updates. So the the code you're running on on your computer is is set in stone consensus. So the only way changes happen are if you actually download an update and install it. And the same can be said about any of these you know alternative maintainers like anyone else can can copy the code make any changes they want and if miners and and nodes want to run it then then people will install it and they'll run it and and that might become you know the majority of the network yeah um but no one's forcing no like core doesn't have control this it's it's to get rid of this fallacy that core has control over over the network in in any way yeah and like, then, they can't particularly the maintainers anything. of the core repository. Yeah, they can't. They could ship new code, but no one can force the people running the nodes to actually install that new code any more than Bitmax can. Exactly. Um, so this was a cool, uh, cool launch by Bitmax Research. I'm a fan of it. Uh, big fan of Bitmax Research in general. If you freaks have not checked out their blog, uh, definitely go do so in a hurry. They have some of the best takes uh, in the business and some very thorough and uh, unique analysis, I would say. Paid for by your liquidations. <laughs> that is true. Be careful with leverage. Only trade if you know how If you know how to. This is not financial advice. Yeah, no, don't do that. Um, I think this is the last... Or no, we got two more topics. Uh, staying on the exchange, we got two exchange stories to to finish out but they're connected the recap uh well one's decentralized and one centralized the centralized one binance uh is announced that they're launching chain analysis functions i guess they're going to comply no it's not like anything that the user sees they're doing it like behind the scenes yes exactly so they're going to comply with uh some regulatory agencies which is weird we're not sure exactly what they're doing i mean i some of the binance accounts like the bigger accounts you have to already do kyc Mm -hmm. um the lower end accounts you don't but it looks like they're going to start tracking transactions into uh, into the exchange um through what we were like talking about earlier with wasabi basically you know you follow the blockchain and and you see where the transactions are coming from yeah. So if you use something like Wasabi, it makes it much harder for, for that to be effective. Yeah, so they've partnered with Chainalysis, uh, and Chainalysis will provide access to its Know Your Transaction compliance software, uh, enabling the exchange to monitor cryptocurrency transactions in real time, and this tool will look for potentially criminal or otherwise illicit activity. Yeah, they're just they're spying and tracking on their users, and, you know, I... A lot of people are using Binance because they don't do that, so it's it's worth noting. And then on to connect that to the other exchange story, which is why I put them smack them together, uh, is Changely and Shapeshift, which historically have been have not complied with KYC, have started complying with KYC themselves. And because of that, we now have BISC, which is this decentralized exchange that basically no one was using that just keeps getting higher volumes every every month and this month they're being led mostly by Monero because I, I guess a lot of people are using Shapeshift and Changely for Monero and now they can't use Binance either if they don't want to be tracked so so BISC should see continued increase yeah I'm looking at the chart here that's uh, BISQ 
Yeah, Biscata, five million in volume uh, last week, but that's that's huge. It was under it was under a million up until January of this year. Yeah, so. it was up, uh, yeah, until Changeling Shapeshift started adding KYC. And, <laughs> you know, it goes. It these decentralized exchanges. The main purpose of them is to break KYC. Mm-hmm. It's to break KYC AML laws, so. They can't just be decentralized in name only. Like they have to be actually decentralized. Otherwise, a government is going to force you to comply. And the decentralized exchanges that are KYC compliant are never going to be able to compete with the BISCs of the world, the ones that aren't. So this this idea that like VCs and hedge funds can get like an ROI from uh from investing in a decentralized exchange just seems like super backwards to me because those investors themselves are like a vulnerability to, to get KYC implemented in the first place. Yeah. Um, no, I think the traditional finance and venture capital world is going to find out in a very abrupt way that the decentralized distributed ethos of Bitcoin and cryptography in general really does not mesh well with, uh, with their business models and their investment models. Well, I mean, the problem is the regulations. Like, if they're in a country that doesn't have draconian regulations, like, they can profit from it. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that these DEXs operate in a quasi-legal setting, which is why they're able to offer you privacy when all the centralized exchanges have to comply. What if the DEXs, like, went out and, like, bring on, like, billions of dollars worth of volume at a certain point in time, do you think the authorities will just be like, all right, it looks like the public wants this. We can't take it down. It's just fully acceptable. Or do you think they'll always be sort of underground, uh, uh, frowned upon operations? Well, the main issue with the DEXs is that, first of all, there's no like true DEXs. I don't even know how decentralized BISC is, so I'm not going to say anything definitive there. But um, the problem with the DEXs is where they connect to fiat. To get U.S. dollars in, it's almost impossible to do that in an actually decentralized, censorship-resistant way. You have to, like, connect into banks or, or something, you know, or then cash is being handed around, which becomes an issue. So, like, DEXs won't be, like, truly successful until there's a lot more money in Bitcoin and the ecosystem to begin with. Like, once you because once you have the money in Bitcoin, then you can move it around DEXs, like, super easy, mm-hmm. right? But the actual fiat on-ramps and off-ramps, that becomes an issue. As far as governments capitulating, they're all going to capitulate eventually. The problem is how slow they are to embrace it is going to determine where, you know, the next Silicon Valley of tomorrow is or where the next, you know, New York of tomorrow is. Mm -hmm. And and those countries are going to be the ones that they're going to have lower taxes, but the tax revenue they do get is going to be substantially higher. They're going to be in a substantially better situation. Maybe the reserves will have some Bitcoin in it and, and they'll be able to, to be the next crop of, of great, great nations. Yeah. <coughs> that was, um, that was the last topic. We'll see if, uh, yeah, again, it's like anything slowly, but surely, uh, it's going to take time for these DEXs to build out the liquidity base necessary for them to be completely useful and viable for for the masses, and like Wasabi Wallet, which we were describing earlier, it just takes time and adoption. And as has been the theme on the Rabbit Hole Recap and Tales from the Crypt in general over the last couple of months, like patience is key. 
these things are happening slowly but surely. The infrastructure is getting built out. I've never been more bullish from a fundamental perspective. Uh, we'll see if the market agrees over time. Um, but yeah, uh, I think uh, the the strides that Bitcoin is making uh, to become more decentralized from the transaction relay layer, the mining pool layer, uh, and and now the exchange layer is is very positive. Uh, anything else you want to touch on, Matthew? Bitcoin has never been stronger than it is today. It's never been as decentralized or any of the other measurement points you could to go with. Shout out to Betty. Shout out Pro- Betty. Props to Betty. We need more Bettys. We're all Betty today. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 oh, I wanted to mention that Murad posted his recent charts mm-hmm. and he had, you know, Murad's our resident bear here at Rabbit Hole Recap. And I was thinking that maybe we should find like a new resident bear because he posted his worst case scenario, which had like a, I think the bottom was like 3000 in 2021 and it was like a little bit painful, but then in 2023 he has us at like $160,000, <laughs> which is, you know, if that's what bearish means, then, you know, maybe I am a bear, but, uh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be very happy with $160,000 per Bitcoin in 2023. As would I. So maybe we need to find someone who... Like back in my day, the bears had price targets of zero. Yeah, the true bears. Where are you? I, I can't find them anymore other than like no coiners. That's um, true. Yeah, so that's all we got for this week, freaks. Uh, oh, I have one more thing, actually. One more thing, actually. Someone asked us to talk about open source on the pod. Okay. And like I think I made it clear on Twitter, but like the key is that we should as a community never stand for non-open source at least non-open source wallets anything that handles our keys needs to be always open source and if it's not open source it's dead on arrival yeah and just end of story especially in an environment where open source options already exist so it's i think i remember that thread it was about patents originally and and delved into open source yeah like it no patented wallet software is gonna gonna succeed against uh, a market that that is saturated with open source options. Yeah, fuck patents and fuck closed source. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the ending note on this week's rabbit hole recap. Uh, thank you, freaks, for listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate, review, share. Uh, let us know what you're thinking. If you have any questions you want us to answer in the future, tweet us. Uh, you know we'll respond. We'll definitely see them. Um, Appreciate you guys listening. Peace and love. Cheers.